listener questions and answers on episode 290 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and asking, what are your questions? Anybody who ever wants to send us a question, you can always email us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Always happy to hear from folks, eh, Shane? Absolutely. Yeah, it's part of the part of the fun of making the podcast. I do enjoy the emails. Yeah, so we had a we had a few questions um, over the holidays, uh, some mount uh, challenges somebody was facing, uh, travel telescope questions, and uh, actually a few questions about the DII red uh, LED lights. But uh, first, how are you feeling, Shane? Uh, did I, I think I I read in one of the replies to another listener that you were uh, going to go and try to get some observing in last night. Yeah. Yeah. I did some observing, uh, in the afternoon and in the evening. Um, you know, it was a rare clear day here, so, <laughs> or at least, uh, in the South, it was clear. Um, so, uh, I pulled out the solar telescope probably mid afternoon, uh, hydrogen alpha. Um, and I forgot how low the sun is this time of the year, because normally I do my solar observing from the backyard. Uh, but my neighbor's house was blocking the view of the sun because of how low it was. So I had to transition to the front driveway um, and uh, just a typical hydrogen alpha session, you know, lots of uh, filaments and surface detail, uh, although not as much prominence detail as I was hoping for. Um, but what I was really wanting to catch was um, a few days ago. So we're recording today. It's January 8th. Um, earlier this past week, there was a like a huge ejection off the sun. It mm. didn't come towards earth, um, but it was expected to um, sort of make, make itself visible as it rotated around uh, towards like midweek, end of week. So I was just wanting to observe a little bit of that, uh, you know, that region. Um, but, you know, it, the conditions just weren't that great during the day. So I didn't spend a lot of time actually doing solar observing. Um, but then in the evening, I took the TSA 102 out and uh, the bino viewers and had another look at Mars. Um, I went out later for this session than I did earlier in the week. So Mars was much higher mm -hmm. and uh, it was nearly at Zenith. Um, seeing was pretty darn good, actually. Um, atmosphere was pretty stable up there. Uh, although humidity was really high. It was like 93% last night. Um, and that definitely impacted the views. Um, but the, uh, uh, the, the atmosphere allowed a lot of magnification. Like I was using, um, about 150 times, which, you know, that's not always attainable here. You know, those are good nights. And, um, again, all of those albedo features were, were super visible right from Sirtis major all the way down and through to graph kind of on the, uh, the limb. Nice. Yeah, it was really good. Um, really enjoyed it. Although it's getting so, you know, Mars is shrinking enough that I'm finding it challenging really to pull out much more detail other than kind of just identifying the albedo features, but yeah. not really seeing variations or detail within those features, which, yeah. you know, other years at uh, opposition, you know, you can start to tease some of that out, but uh, nonetheless, it was fun. Um, had a quick look at Jupiter, but you know, anything low, the, the localized seeing was just killing it. Um, yeah. you know, radiating heat from rooftops and all of that kind of stuff was, yeah. was just not good. 
Um, I was able to split Rigel. Um, Sirius wasn't uh, visible to me. And even if it was, it would have been too low when I was out to really attempt to split there. Yeah. Um, so then I took a look at the moon. I think it was like one day past full. And um, <laughs> it's kind of neat. Along the Terminator, uh, there was a fairly large crater that looked like a, like a layered burger or a layered mm. sandwich <laughs> where there'd be like a like a row of like bright illuminated kind of moon grayness and then a black line all the way through and then above the black line another like you know slice of moon grayness and there is about four or five stacks like this mm. in this one crater it was mm. super neat and i have no idea what i was looking at so um i'm going to wait for uh, some images to come out this week because as people image the moon, yeah. you know, they process them and release them, but it, it, there's usually a, a few days of delay there. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping somebody caught that image uh, from uh, January 7th and uh, very curious what I, what I was looking at, but it was, it was neat. I don't recall seeing that before. Wow. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it was fun. So how about you? Were you able to get out or your, your cold battle? Oh man. Is, uh, not allowing you. Yeah, I I thought about it last night. I actually went out and checked on on uh, my cabin last yesterday, and mm. uh, I thought about going out last night, but uh, I'm just not quite quite there. It's still uh, a little bit in cough recovery mode here. So mm. I uh, actually found some observations. <laughs> yeah, you're mentioning you're you're doing some some cleaning up and came across some old stuff. Yeah, trying to get my. The, you know, I, I record in, in like the spare room, which is my office podcast studio has a bed in it. Um, everything, uh, everything, uh, an astronomer needs. Um, so yeah, I found some old sketches of, of unaided, uh, moon observations that I'd done, um, like in the morning sky when the sky is kind of that sort of, uh, deep, uh, sort of like kind of getting towards like a pale blue and, uh, Anyway, so I had done them on some pale blue paper. I'd almost forgotten about those. And then I found some of uh, NGC 6231, uh, the false comet down in uh, Scorpius, um, which I thought I'd lost. So I did a set of them in 2016 because I want always wanted to see it, um, like a good observation of it, not just a, a glance at it. I remember when I lived in Ontario, glancing at it a few times. Um, but when I was in Hawaii, I sketched it when I was up on Haleakala and then, uh, I did a good sketch of that sketch. And then when I was in Nova Scotia back uh, a few months after that, again, back in 2016, I wanted to see if I could get it from there to actually see it from Nova Scotia. So, uh, so I was able to get a good sketch in, uh, of it from, from, uh, the coast there. So anyway, I, I had all these sketches, but I darn if I could remember where I put them and they were just on a shelf in amongst like other papers that I would just never sort of dive into. So, uh, anyway, pretty, uh, pretty excited to, to kind of have uh, uncovered that. So uh, NGC 6231 is, um, false comet. And then there's a prawn, what's called the prawn nebula nearby. And the false comet is just a, a grouping of stars, uh, sort of towards the bottom of the uh, stinger of Scorpius, like right in, you know, basically at, at a, in and amongst the lowest extremity of, uh, of the scorpions, uh, stinger. And, uh, anyway, it's, it's below the horizon for us here. Like it never rises, but, uh, it just barely is below the horizon by 
maybe just half a degree or something. So you don't have to go too too much further south for it to rise. And it's very bright. So anyway, just uh, nice to be able to uh, to dig those up. Yeah, kind of fun going through all that stuff, even even when I wasn't feeling well. Well, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So cleaned up the office, uh, getting trying to get things rolling. We had a couple of hiccups today, I guess, when I installed Zoom on the new computer or was messing around with it. It seems like it changed the password on you. So my apologies for that. Yeah, no problem. We got it figured out and here we are. Here we are. Yeah, I'm on a now dedicated machine. I haven't actually had like a full-on proper computer in a number of years. So, uh, you know, I, I've been just sort of using whatever was was handy, but I bought a, a refurbished uh, MacBook Air to, to be dedicated to the podcast and have uh, podcasting software running on it and my audio interface running into it. So nothing else I have is powerful enough to to run all this stuff. So I was trying to, and it would just, everything would just die. I could only run either my earphones or, or the microphone or not, nothing else had enough power. So it's all, it's all going pretty good. And then I think uh, once you do the output, I think you put it in through Audacity um, and do some late ed- editing there before, before they go live. Isn't that how we're doing it? Uh, sort of, I don't use audacity. I use, uh, an app called ferrite Oh, and, um, yeah, I've been using that since day one and it's, it's awesome. I, I do it all on my iPad and, um, it, uh, yeah, it has some filters and some things that clean up the levels and audio a little bit and, and, uh, doesn't take very long, but, you know, it allows us to add the intro and the outro and, and uh, once in a blue moon, we actually have to do an edit to the audio, but that's yeah. exceptionally rare. Yeah. Um, like, like that time I spilt my coffee on me. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Good stuff. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So we're uh, yeah, making some, some improvements here. I'm, I'm pretty happy. I like to be able to watch my levels. Um, Cause in the, like, and so with this device, it has these uh, two green scales when I speak and in the past, what, what we were finding is that my voice can drop off and I, I have a bit of asthma and I have a cold right now. And I was really happy with the last podcast we did, even, even though it was a short one, uh, if I didn't have the system running, I wouldn't have been able to do it because I wouldn't be able to see um, my levels and I would have been all over the map and way, way, way too quiet. But here I can kind of watch where it is. And if it starts dropping off, I just know that I'm moving too far away from the mic and I just sort of... Um, you know, training myself just to, uh, just to adjust. But, um, one thing I was trying to get running here is I thought I'd be able to put you through this as well, but I think like I was saying, I have to get a patch cable or something like that. So then I can actually, uh, run Shane through this and, uh, make, make our levels match. So make for less work in, in the post-production for what work there is. Very interesting for those that are interested. Maybe not everybody is, but we're, we're, I'm into podcasting too. So this is just like my other little hobby, but I'm more into astronomy. So before we go too far down that rabbit hole. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've got some questions here, Shane, that they're pretty, uh, good, but, uh, but first, uh, we should do a shout out to Bob, I think, cause, uh, he had sort of something interesting to, uh, to say he uh, got an article published in the February edition of Sky and Telescope. Yeah, yeah. So Bob wrote, uh, hey guys, just a quick note to blow my own horn. Check the last page of the February 2023 Sky and Telescope and see my article in that issue's focus. Uh, I'm thrilled that they accepted it. Love your podcast, Bob K. Yeah, congratulations, Bob. That's super cool. Um, 
I think he must have sent that uh, sort of it's like an observing report um, just after the hurricane went through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because it, it seemed very familiar to me. And uh, and so anyway, I thought that was that was really nice that they they printed it. He's been a longtime subscriber to uh, to the magazine, longtime listener of ours as well. So uh, really cool to see. And yeah, not not blowing your own horn at all. Yeah. If other people are getting out and published places, uh, yeah, let us know. Cause, uh, if that's the case and it's something maybe I don't subscribe to, I will go and pick up that magazine. Uh, just cause somebody who listens to us is getting published somewhere else. I think that's super cool. Oh, for sure it is. Yeah. It's really, it's quite a, you know, I'd say an honor, you know, to be published. Um, so congrats, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is super cool. Yeah. It's always fun to, to see your stuff, uh, in print and to be included and, it's one of the things we like to do as well is to put uh, to put the people that are listening to us in our podcast because people come up with all kinds of great questions that we would never think of creating an episode around. And one of them came in from Berta, who's who's a more recent uh, listener and kind of kind of meshes well uh, with Bob's where maybe I was tooting our horn a bit, Shane, and then and then she wrote us back. So maybe I'll just read this. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Berta writes, hi, Chris and Shane. First of all, happy new year to you both. Thanks for putting the work that you do to create the uh, actual astronomy podcast. I recently discovered it as Chris recommended it on the Astro, Astro Sketchers RESC forum, and I am hooked. Uh, I hear that you both use refractors, and I have a question, maybe a podcast episode. There you go. Uh, I do have a four-inch Nickstar SLT refractor that I upgraded the mount to a more sturdy Celestron Omni German Equatorial, which I love, fine picture attached. So, and I did, so I should have put it in the notes, uh, but Berta sent us a really cool photo because it looks just like my backyard too, where it's, there's a lot of snow down and uh, she's got her four inch, I think it's like an F5 refractor on an EQ4 mount for those that are familiar with it. And it looks like it's a manual mount. Um, Berta goes on to say, now I tried to look at Mars yesterday in Auriga, as you recommended in your January episode, but the scope ended up touching the tripod legs and I couldn't. How do you solve this problem? She writes, my good friend, Alistair Ling from the Edmonton center. She lives in Edmonton, recommended turning the scope upside down, which works, although it is a little bit awkward and the slow-mo controls uh, of the mount end up being on the other side. Anyway, do you have any other advice or trick for this? Thanks in advance, uh, Berta. So uh, I think that's actually pretty good advice from from Alistair. Um, I know Alistair a little bit. Uh, Alistair is the person who writes uh, for a long time the uh, the sort of what's up in the night sky for the Astronomy Magazine, the uh, U.S. edition of Astronomy Magazine. He's been a longtime member of the RESC, and um, yeah, sometimes sometimes somebody that I will go to for some some advice and support as well. But uh, but Shane. Um, did you have any thoughts on this one before I kind of give what I wrote? Yeah, um, I did reply, and I forgot to CC our account, so you probably didn't. Uh, no worries, didn't see it. But um, you know, I ran into this problem too uh, a long time ago, and um, so probably the easiest way, I think, or maybe not the easiest way, but the way I solved it is um, uh, my main mount is my Stellar View M2C. It's a very basic Altaz mount. Um, but it it sits quite low on the tripod. So if you have uh, a refractor, even if it's a short tube refractor, if if you're trying to look too high, you know it would bang into the tripod leg. Um, so you could 
kind of orient your tripod so that the leg isn't in the way, but that's, you know, a massive pain. Um, so what I did uh, is I got the uh, extension pier for that mount. So it basically mm -hmm. it's a tube that goes onto the tripod and it raises the mount, gosh, I'd say 12 to 15 inches or so. Um, maybe even 18 inches. I'm not sure. Uh, it raises it quite a bit and, and, you know, it gives the telescope the clearance so that it's not banging into the tripod legs. Um, the other thing is that, um, the, the, like the, the tube for this pure extension is, is quite solid. So it's not like, it's going to be quite stable when I use it. You, you could fashion your own, um, but then, you know, you have to make sure you're using some pretty high gauge steel or, mm -hmm. you know, metal of some kind to ensure stability yep. there. But anyway, yeah. Pure extension is what I recommended. Yeah. That that's kind of where I went, uh, at first as well, but then I was, I was looking closely and I, I think that's a solid recommendation because, um, if, if somebody's going to use refractors and they're using like the EQ4, um, and they're going to upgrade and maybe continue to use refractors, which I would, um, they're going to need more height anyway. It's just, it's just part of the territory. And I think the EQ4 can probably handle, you know, uh, like a lightweight, uh, five inch instrument or, or a longer four inch if, if they went, if Berta went in that direction. Um, but when I looked, I noticed this and I, I had this with, uh, one of my scopes as well is that uh looks like the four inch nexstar slt refractor uh comes with one of those uh bolted on uh, dovetail plates mm. so instead of having a, a ring system or a ring um or something like that it, it has the dovetail directly attached to the tube i'm actually looking at my uh, i might even measure this just while we're here so so part of my knock it around here for a second, hopefully I don't knock anything over, but, uh, but I'm going to stand up. I'm actually going to measure my, uh, tack FS 60. I'm going to measure the distance from the tube to the top of the plate here. I know it's at least an inch. So I'm just going to do this. I've got a measuring tape right here and yeah, it's, it's one inch, maybe just over an inch. I would say it's, it's probably an inch and an eighth of an inch. So, so what happens is, is that when you have the plate attached directly to the tube, especially on a short tube instrument, um, there's a couple things that occur. One is that the um, telescope is going to mount really close to the mount. And then you're, you're going to just not have that extra inch and a little bit of room between the telescope and the legs when it swings up. So I don't know if adding two brings and an external plate and maybe either taking that off or mounting it in such a way um, uh, around it. But but anyway, you have to figure that out or she'd have to figure that out. Um, but but also, I think it's worthwhile doing. I, I think that once you get to the point where you're buying an ex, like an ex, like a new mount and you're doing some other upgrades, I think getting a good set of rings and a plate are... Maybe one of those things that people sort of stave off from doing because it's an expense. It's not really like a super fun and exciting thing. Like you don't, you're not going to go out and see something new or anything like that. It's not like buying an eyepiece or a diagonal or, or a new telescope, but the usability is going to increase. And one of the things that 
people probably aren't going to realize until they do it is that um, it's going to make the telescope a little bit easier to use because you could get a mounting plate. And like with my FS60, even my mounting plate actually extends past um, the head of my focuser. And so by that, you're actually able to you know, use a lot of different eyepieces and have have a lot of different balance range with the telescope, so that um, you can use bigger eyepieces or or maybe it's really smaller eyepieces, and you're able to balance them all by either moving the telescope up and down the tube or by simply moving the uh, the dovetail plate up and down in in your saddle, um, depending. So it it just gives you some more. Uh, flexibility as far as how you actually use the telescope. I don't know that it will be enough though. I think your solution is sort of the slam dunk solution chain where um, putting the pure extension on, and I think the pure extension for the, uh, I think it's the EQ4 that she has there, at least that, that's what it looked like when I looked at it, um, is the same as as the EQ5. So you'd have to verify that with, uh, with a retailer. They, I'm sure they would be happy to do it. And then uh, that would give you the height. Personally, if it was me, I would do both. I would get the the pure extension because you know you're solving the problem there. But then as well, um, to be able to mount that telescope up like that, just going to make it a little bit uh, more usable because those are nice little little telescopes. They've been making those uh, four-inch F5s for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I I think most mounts, maybe that's an exaggeration, but I I don't think so. But I I believe most mounts sell pure extensions. Um, So if you need that extra little bit of height, uh, you know, you can get that. So, you know, even if you're like, if somebody else is maybe having the same issue and you don't have the same mount that we're, or mounts that we're talking about, there, there still might be some pure extensions available for you if you look into it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, you can just contact the the mount manufacturer, go onto their website. Yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, just be careful, like make sure you verify it first, whatever you have. I know Ioptron has them. Um, and then there's a lot of generic ones because I think like the Celestron, Skywatchers, Orions, a lot of those are more or less like the same mount. They're gonna have more or less the same threads and all that stuff, but you'd have to make sure you were um, verifying that first, but uh, that that's a really good question though. That's, that's super practical. I actually had a very similar issue with the, um, the telescope that I bought for my nephews. Cause it's the, um, uh, ST 80 version from Skywatcher. And I think I did, I ended up leaving the plate on that one. Um, but when I was using it on my mount, I took it off and, and, uh, had modified it. But I end up getting a Skywatcher mount specifically for that telescope that worked fine. So sometimes, like depending on what you're doing, you can find a telescope mount that will work with those type of uh, plates. But uh, I, I think in this in this instance, I think it's a good idea to uh, to get that pure extension or to get rings or, you know, uh, if if some Christmas money came in, you know, the new Takahashi telescope comes in white, it would look really beautiful on that white EQ4. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it would. You know, uh, another benefit too of the the pure extension that I never thought of until I actually bought it and started using it is I don't extend my tripod as high because oh, yeah. you know the extension gets the telescope to the right height anyway. Yeah, and I think I've gained a little bit of stability that way because you know one of the weak points of any tripod is extending the legs, and if you extend them all the way to the maximum. 
usually that's, you know, the least stable the tripod will be. So keeping the legs uh, not extended because you have the pure extension up top, um, I think makes it just a little bit more of a stable platform. Oh yeah. And the other thing I'm thinking about just as you're talking, <clears throat> excuse me, is that you're a taller person, Shane, and how might that play into this as well? Maybe you can speak from that height. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like it, you know, if I want to stand and observe, which I don't do a ton of, but, um, that pure extension again, it just helps get that telescope, uh, to the right, you know, level for me. And, you know, what I found with a lot of tripods, um, I'd like, unless you're getting some of the really, really long, like Burla backs, um, a lot of tripods don't go like really high. So if you want to stand and observe, you probably need this depending on your height. But, um, you know, for me, it, it, you know, I, I, I have no regrets of buying that pure extension. Uh, many, many benefits were realized by getting it. Yeah. I do have one on my, uh, Burla back tripod as well. Just, uh, mm-hmm. they, they can come in handy to keep the weight down. Like it's on my like super portable travel edition. And, uh, yeah, it is, uh, it is super handy. Cool. Anything else on this one uh, for Berta? No, nope, that's it. All right. We had uh, Julian. He he sent an email just to me, but I, I put it in the show notes and I, I made sure I got these out to you sooner this time. Um, and Julian is, is going to be traveling, uh, I think, in early 2024. And, and so that's about a year from now. And uh, kind of timely since I had just traveled and went through a lot of debate whether I would take my TAC uh, 60FS, which I, I've taken on several trips with me before. But this time I opted just to tuck my binoculars in. And boy, when I got to the Pearson Airport, I was sure happy I'd done that. Uh, we had to take four flights over the holidays to get back, back and forth from where we were going. I think it was just four, but we ended up getting delayed by 28 hours uh, at one point. And, uh, and we walked downstairs or took the escalator downstairs to to get our bags and Pearson there. And uh, I estimated there was several thousand uh, either abandoned or lost pieces of luggage there and uh, a, a line longer than that uh, to Disneyland for, for getting, uh, getting your, your, your bag uh, uh, attended to. Anyway, it was, it was a real mess. So what I did is I just took my binoculars and uh, decided to use my, my nephew's ST eighties, which I had sent down uh, during the, during the pandemic. And, uh, that worked out pretty good. So I was, I was pretty happy with that because they got to come over and I got to observe with them, but Shane, have, have you traveled with the telescope yet or just, just taking binoculars or what you've been experienced with this so far? Well, I've done both. Um, I've taken my old 80 millimeter William optic refractor on multiple trips. Um, trying to think if I've taken any other telescopes. No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, that, that one was my portable telescope at the time when we were traveling. Um, uh, but more often than not, I would just take my, uh, Canon IS binoculars, the 12 by 36s. Um, you know, binoculars are, I just love them on vacation because I use them during the day for sightseeing and then I can use them at night for astronomy and, um, they get a lot of use whenever we go on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. I always like those, uh, those Canon image stabilized binoculars. I always like stealing your views and I've actually been on vacation before and then run into people with them. And I'm like, <laughs> Hey, those are the Canon blah, blah, blahs. And the person's always like super excited to say, here, have a look at this whale. Through them. So it's a lot of fun. All right. I'm going to, this, this email is going to speak to you, I think, because, um, 
Julian has has a lot of similar equipment that you do. So he he wrote this one directly to to me as well, um, just because we've had a sort of ongoing conversation about uh, uh, some of these really amazing art pieces that uh, that he's he creates. Anyway, uh, Julian writes, um, my old, I know there's the, there's the cold coming through (laughs) my old uh, South African friend and writer uh, no longer lives in South Africa at the moment, but he visits there frequently. Uh, My partner and I have decided to travel uh, with him to South Africa to peek at the Southern skies in 2024. And he's super interested in looking up. When I said I'd bring along uh, only my Canon 10 by 42 image stabilized binoculars, he said I should bring my telescope. I can't take my X-T10. That's like a 10-inch Dobsonian, which is a a pretty good sized piece of gear. But I can take the 81 millimeter, um, but it's going to be too long for carry-on luggage. So I thought to sell my 81 millimeter, and I think this must be one of the William Optics ones, uh, and ask what your view of would be of this uh, quintuple and quintuplet telescope, which is uh, made by Ascar, which is that uh, 65 millimeter F6.4. He goes on to say, it would pass for carry-on luggage and it might work in concert with your uh, wide field wonders uh, page 326 of the Observer's Handbook, uh, which is my my list in there for wide field observing. With eyepiece and diagonal, I think it would be around three kilograms, which my photo tripod could just about handle, but not solidly. My AZ-5 would be impossible to take in the cabin. Uh, in contradistinction, Damien Peach says he never had lost telescopes when he's checked them in for a flight. According to Matthew Hodgins in Alpha Lyrae, that's a website. People should check that out. Um, Matthew Hodgins, Alpha Lyrae site. Uh, he goes on to say triplets are useful as visual only instruments. Um, do things get even better with quintuplets? And then he, he gave me a link to the Alpha Lyrae site, which I'm very familiar with. Um, what might be your overall view of the Ascar 65? I've not seen any reviews of it yet. And he goes on to say, um, here's where we're planning to go. And he sent this, this map. Um, have you any suggestions regarding South Africa, any astralist groups might contact Would the Florida keys be just as good Cuba, Key Largo. Uh, thanks again for any suggestions. Uh, you have Julian, what are your thoughts, Shane? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to start with you? First of all, apologies for coughing. I drank my coffee the wrong way and (laughs) (laughs) nearly drowned. So I'm using my mute button, uh, quite judiciously here so that I, I don't do the same. Good stuff. No worries. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it a dilemma, but you know, situation anyway. Yeah. Um, the only thing that kind of strikes me about a, uh, like a quintuple, a quintuplet, uh, telescope is just the weight. I know, I think he referenced here three kilograms with everything. Um, that's, that seems light to me for a 65, uh, you know, 65 millimeter telescope with four pieces of glass. But, um, uh, that would be my only concern is I would probably still try to get like a doublet, just save the weight there. Um, you know, possibly we've talked a lot about those Astrotech telescopes, Chris, that seem to have, uh, like we've never looked through them, but they seem to have a really good following and, and really positive reviews. I think they make 
something in the 60 millimeter class as well as like a 71 millimeter. Yeah. Um, so those are probably what I would have my eye on uh, for this type of traveling. But um, I, I don't know much about the the telescope he's referencing, that Ascar 65. Have, have you researched it at all or read any reviews? Yeah. So this telescope, from from what I can tell... This telescope would be the same as one. I think Sharp Star. I think there was, oh, yeah. and there was somebody else that headed out even before them. Um, they headed out the first edition. Now, I got to say, this is a telescope that I am extremely interested in. I think maybe even Alan Dyer had done a review of it at some point, if I'm remembering correctly. And um, it is a decent telescope, but. I have, a, and, I, and I replied to Julian already, so he already, already has all my uh, detailed thoughts. Um, but I have a few concerns based on what I read in my research. So first of all, I was very interested in it because a quadruplet refractor at F64-ish or whatever is going to give you a really flat field of view. And that's going to give me like pretty much a perfect exopupil with my 40 millimeter Pentax XW, which is about my favorite eyepiece. That's just going to be like a match made in heaven. Really, it, it would be. Um, these telescopes also are fairly decent price. I think they're around $1,000 US. So they're about like 30% uh, cheaper than a Takahashi FS60, which I already own. Um, and when I was looking at getting the TAC FS60, this this was uh, this was in the in the debate pool. Um, but I love Matt Matt Hodgson's Alpha Lyrae site, and he's the one that convinced me to get the FS60 as the as sort of more of an ultimate travel scope. And I never end up looking through any of the 65 millimeter quintuples. You know, there might have even been like an AstroTech version. Now that I think about it, okay. Anyway, regardless, this should be an awesome wide field instrument. But here, here are my concerns. Um, a 65 millimeter quintuple, in, inherently, it's just going to be a heavier telescope. It's got four elements instead of two. And that's just that's just going to make for a heavier instrument. It's going to have a bigger cell. And that's just the nature of it. So by going to a simple doublet, um, and these days the doublets are are pretty good. And with modern good wide field eyepieces, I know Julian has some decent eyepieces. Um, he's he's not going to notice that much. I don't notice that much of a difference to my FS60 and when I use like a like a much longer focal length telescope. So, you know, it, that's just not as big a concern as the weight would be for for traveling purposes. The other thing is this: is that astro imagers have different requirements for telescopes. Mm-hmm than what, what we're going to have for just having a simple travel scope we're going to visually look through. And one of the shortcomings, and Shane, you and I have run into this because we buy telescopes that are used by astro imagers because typically astro imaging, imaging telescopes are, are pretty good scopes. Um, and that is that they're going to have a, a different configuration for having the focal point land on a camera sensor than for going into a diagonal and then up into an eyepiece. So you might have trouble focusing um, some of your eyepieces or all of your eyepieces. And that kind of challenge is going to be a bit of a showstopper to get the kinks worked out of and to to maybe use when uh, when one is traveling. Not saying that you can't do it. You and I have both overcome a lot of weird and wacky um, focal point issues with the telescopes that we own. Um, but it's not going to be as plug and play. It's it's going to be 
um, probably more of a challenge to to get some eyepieces to focus. That might not be the case. Maybe Asker is knocked out of the park, but there's no reviews. So it's an unknown at this point. And you'd want to be getting that telescope pretty soon to get working on it, to work out those bugs, uh, e- even though there's about a year of lead time here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, you know, like imaging telescopes, you typically need some sort of an extension uh, to get eyepieces to focus for visual astronomy. Um, and like my TSA 102 is a great example of that actually, where the, um, uh, like it came with an adapter, like basically a tube that you screw into the focuser that is, uh, it's included for, you know, visual use. But if you're using a camera, you take that off and then, you know, the, uh, it just works better with the camera because the camera uh, doesn't need that type of focal length um, for focusing. You know, it 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 this the set like the sensor is much closer than you know your eye would be if you're a visual observer with diagonals and eyepieces. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, it uh, it's it it's great if you're a binal viewer because then it saves some of that uh, uh, light path for binal viewing. But yeah, for just you know regular mono viewing, it it can be a, a bit of a nuisance. Oh, I was also going to say this with the quintuple chain. I might be a little bit worried about keeping all those elements aligned, especially considering oh, yeah. this telescope is going to be a travel telescope, right? It's going to get, yeah. you, you should have, you should have seen the stuff that was in my luggage and how knocked around it was by the time we got back here. So I'd be concerned. Yeah, that's a really good point. And then maybe the last one too, that I'll make is just, you know, I don't know what the temperature differences would be like between indoors oh, and outdoors, yeah. but you, you certainly have a lot more cool down time or, or yeah. we'll just call it acclimatization time. Maybe yeah. it has to heat up even. Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, a quad instrument will take a much, it'll take longer than what a doublet would take. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, considering there's no reviews in this, a lot of this is simply conjecture. This mm-hmm. telescope might be well-designed for cooling, might be slightly lighter weight than, than what we think it might be. Um, it might have just a beautiful lens cell design. And so with that, I'm just going to say, you know, if if this gets into to the ears of Ascar, you know, just please send one over because I honestly have had my eye on the various incarnations of this telescope for many years. And I would love to have a flat field 65 millimeter um, F6.4 telescope because I, you know, and I may even try one at some point. Now, if I go to a star party and somebody has one, that's going to be a telescope I try to arrange to look through with my equipment because that that could be a telescope for me just, just to have on the shelf for sure, because that would just be beautiful wide fields, super wide fields and sharp to the edge. I'd be super excited to, uh, to view through that. So if Ascar is out there, they're looking for somebody to do a review. <laughs> send send her our way we we can share we can share a telescope chain they don't have to send us two yeah that's fair <laughs> we, we we end up settling on a recommendation of a, one of the 72 millimeters either like shane was saying from astronomics um one of the astrotech 72 eds um or like a skywatcher 72 ed and i think he's leaning on on the latter one there so i think, think that that's a pretty good solid way to go because uh, by all accounts those are those are excellent telescopes and I've looked through some of the other ones, just not the really small ones. So I should should put that in. All right. Anything else to add to uh, Julian's uh, question and correspondence there? No, nope, that's it. All right. Head uh, email there from uh, from Tom. Do you just want to go ahead and, and uh, do you mind giving that one a read, Shane? But while yeah. I take my leave. 
Yeah, for sure. And just to refresh, Tom has been on uh, the podcast before. He built uh, that uh, super fast uh, Dobsonian telescope called Artemis. So, or Artemis, uh, sorry. Um, in, in his email, he says, <clears throat> excuse me, hey guys, uh, Merry Christmas to both of you and your families. Uh, while the break, while the break sort of sucked over here because we all got COVID leading into Christmas, I love the Sue French uh, book that came under the tree. Too bad the skies are not cooperating while I'm off from work. Uh, someone should record each article so that you can listen to it while observing, having an over-the-shoulder guide as you follow along. Quick question. I, I thought about, sorry, I got to hop in and say, I thought about reaching out to Sue French. I'm on a list serve with her and I'm, I, she doesn't know who I am or anything, but I thought I should reach out to her and do we, like, that would be it. That's a really good idea. I like that idea a lot. Mm-hmm. I think we should talk to Sue French about uh, recording some of those. I think that would be super neat. I wonder if she'd be up for it in her well, retirement. I've, I've often thought like, you know, some of these astronomical guides would be outstanding uh, audio books because then you could listen to them <laughs> while you're, while you're out in the field. But uh, yeah, I yeah. love that idea. Um, so Tom goes on to say, quick question. Uh, do you have a link or photo or anything on that DIY red, yellow, white light project that a listener had created? Uh, I am okay with the light that I have, but a more ergonomic one would be helpful, uh, as would yellow versus red. Uh, hopefully I'll get a few nights in during January and send some observing notes. Happy new year. Thanks for that, Tom. Yeah, I really appreciate that. He was the third or fourth person to write or ask about that. Um, I think during the past uh, five or six weeks since Wade sent sent in his photos and we talked about it, I, uh, I I did ask Wade. I think he's a little busy right now, but I did ask him for some detailed specs um, because, and I think we we talked about this before, Shane. In general, we've been less than satisfied personally, or at least I have with the current offerings of led lights that are, that are out there and, and maybe we're just missing something. But for me, um, the best one that, that I've found, and I'm going to, I'm going to give a very, you know, stringent recommendation is I've been using the Rigel systems, red slash Amber custom dual light. Um, but the Amber side pretty much broke. Cause I use my light a lot and I'm really not careful with my light. So I'm not like, blaming Rigel systems or anything. I beat the heck out of my light. And then um, I use the Amber quite a bit, but if I was to do it again, and my recommendation for listeners, if you want the best off the shelf one that you can get, just buy a single um, Rigel systems red light. If you want another color light, get another color light, get a separate light. I think this business of these dual beams is... Not great. I I don't think it works. It works as well. Just single purpose lights. I think that's that's my recommendation. And uh, the reason why I like the Rigel Systems lights is I don't know why all these red flashlights have like these strange curves and contours to them. They look like I don't know what they look like. They look like like they're like they're not round. They're not flat. And I just want to lay it flat. So the Rigel Systems one is is a bit of a rectangle and it, it works well i put it down on my paper and i can sketch using it without messing around with it too much but most of the other ones um no not as good and and or often the ones that are decently shaped like i know there was more square and rectangular ones in the past than there seems to be now but darn it if those ones aren't like absolutely made out of the cheapest materials possible 
and like the potentiometer always comes apart the lens glass always falls out it's just like i don't mind spending like a hundred bucks on a really good flashlight and the rigel systems are getting up there but uh you know i just want a decent red flashlight can can maybe people out there maybe somebody else has already solved this problem or, or has a recommendation i think the rigel systems one is the best one i've been able to find but what are your thoughts on all this shane yeah, like I concur. There's there's not an ideal flashlight out there for me. And I've spent a lot of time looking for, you know, a, a nice amber light that's fully dimmable and uh, you know, came up unsuccessful essentially. So I stick with my standard red flashlight, uh, yeah. Skywatcher brand. It, you know, it I can dim it all the way down to like no light at all. So it's infinitely yeah. variable. Uh runs on a nine volt, so you know, it lasts a long, long time. Um, it, it, it works fine. I, I have no complaints. I would still like to get, uh, a dimmable Amber light, but, um, yeah. they just don't seem to really <laughs> exist. So, yeah. uh, I guess I'll bide my time and hope, hopefully somebody produces something. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe I do what Wade did and just, uh, you know, get the right parts and, and put something together. Yeah. Um, Rigel systems will make you one, but like, like I said, they're not cheap. And the biggest downside for for you and I, Shane, is I think half the cost was actually getting it here into Canada. So I think maybe maybe it's going to run you around fifty bucks for a single one, um, Canadian. I should have looked at the price, but it doesn't matter. They're not cheap, but they're good. And uh, but then you got to pay. Like shipping was twenty five dollars, and then I think I got nailed with tax and duty and blah blah blah. So I I think I was like really up into like the $80, $90 range by the time mine mine get in the door here. And it and it worked great for a while. And like I said, I banged it around like like my light gets banged around a lot at night. And I think I observed like 150 nights with it. And then the orange stopped working, you know, so it's just mm-hmm. a red flashlight now. So I would say get the red version of the Roger one. If you want the best one off the shelf, maybe there's another one out there. People write me, let me, let us know at actual astronomy at gmail.com. And then, uh, yeah, I think that's the best one that's available, but I feel like this, this is a problem that could be solved by, by the group of people that we're talking to right now. There's a lot of handy folks out there. And, uh, I like what Wade has done. Um, cause it's flat. And he has a, a few different options, but each light option that he has has a different switch. And the problem that I think my Rigel Systems dual beam had was it uses the same switch for both. And there's another, it, it's just too much use of the same switches to mm-hmm. switch over back and forth. So then I think it really is just basically stuck on the red now. So a- anyway, any further thoughts on that? I, I think we need help. We need help from our community. <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't have anything else uh, to add to that. All right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. Lose, losing my voice here, here a little bit. And uh, I think we're getting close to time. I think we did pretty good. We did pretty good here. What do we, you know, I, I think we did good here this morning. Don't you? 46 minutes, Chris. That's, that's pretty good considering where we were on Thursday and mm-hmm. we did a, did a short recording on Thursday and I, I coughed so much afterwards, uh, not a word of a lie I actually cracked one of my ribs. So yeah, I'm not doing, not doing too bad. So anything else to add to the whole episode? Nope. Uh, that's it, Chris. All right. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for putting up with us. So uh, we're still getting over these colds. And, uh, and if you enjoyed this podcast, like John did, leave us a review. Thanks, John. Thanks for sending us that review. I know you had a little trouble getting it uh, submitted. Maybe it could cut off and 
and maybe gave uh, an intention you weren't otherwise looking for. But I, I think it's great. And I think that uh, maybe other people can sort of build on that. And we would appreciate it if anybody else can do us the same favor John did and leave us a five-star rating and say something fun and positive about this show, because that will increase the chances that other people like you are going to find actual astronomy in 2023. And we're always happy to get your observing reports and questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.